Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so I opened up. We're running the small little fish out there, so we are on that. We're trying hard to make it true, but it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. So by my counting, lads, there was about 70 senior club matches yesterday. Like, I mean, I don't know how we'll be able to fill it all in or just get bits and pieces. That was just yesterday. Never mind Saturday and Friday. We're trying to fit it all in. And I don't know about you two. We were watching, I was watching Ballygunner and Passage. And like, I mean, that was just a a kind of a, a dead game. It was over after probably four or five minutes. Ballygunner went five nil up. Um, and that was kind of it. And then... You know, they have a deferred game on TG Catter. It's not a, really a criticism of TG Catter. I presume they played the deferred game from Monaghan because that was the one they could get their hands on. You know, it was a bit frustrating that Ballymore Kickham's Nafina was on live and I'm sure Dublin County Board didn't want to give that up. But then I was just thinking, like, Conan, if, if clubs are going to start getting now from August until December completely to themselves and there's so much going on all over the country especially now when it's getting the quarterfinal semi-final final stages where it's really cranking up and it's getting exciting I just feel that you're watching one live game and one deferred game and you're missing out on so much Do you know it's not a great TV experience it could be way more interactive they could have reporters at the grounds and I'm blue in the face talking about a Gillette Soccer Saturday style show with reporters at the ground and just sit down in front of the television watch one live game maybe at two o'clock and then have other games starting at four and have a much more interactive experience for the rest for the next couple of hours I wish you would stop bringing up the soccer Saturday thing. So we could <laughs> we could just go and do it. Like you're going, you want to give someone else the the idea. I think it'll be it'll be class. And like maybe the reporters at the ground, like even that would be hard because you're talking about seventy games yesterday. But 
like the amount of live streams that are on now. Like you know, you could be sitting, in, you could be the Paul Merson, I'll be Jeff Stelling, obviously, and uh, you know, you could be sitting watching Dubs TV while Connor's sitting there watching Leash TV, and you know, just keeping us up to date. And we could be sitting shooting the shit while nothing's happening, and it'll be a great experience because yeah, I don't know about you, I actually feel when you're watching the game on TV, you're you're missing out. You're sort of not tapped into everything else that's happening. No, and then and then you go onto your Twitter account, and like I follow a pilot journalist, and my timelines just flood it with these updates from all around the country and it's it's not an order because of the the algorithm i know it can change that but and i'm getting like you know 16 minutes 32 minutes and it's just there's too much going on and when i'm watching a game on tv it's not reflecting that yeah that's the thing um connor the you know just some sort of idea of what now rt radio one is very good at this they are definitely during the intercounty season i know it's impossible i'm not asking for 70 games to be covered but maybe be at the the semi-finals and the finals, do you know, to at least be given a some sort of a flavour of what's happening around the country. Yeah, I love speaking of RD Radio 1. I love it during the summer when I'm driving. And uh, yeah, I, I yeah. They've, 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 they're very good at kind of keeping in check and keeping you abreast of everything that's going on. Just what Conan said there is a, is a very good point as well in that, like, while, you know, like, when you go to your Twitter feed when, when all these games are on and Saturdays and Sundays as well, not only are you full, you know, not only is your feed full of what journalists are saying about the games, but you know, within minutes now, because of technology and stuff like that, and because all these games are being streamed, you'll see, you know, somebody might have a video up of an unbelievable goal here or an instant there and stuff like that. So if you had something coordinated where you could tap into everything, so while you have maybe just like yourself and Conan chatting about games, then, oh, look, we're just after getting this feed of a brilliant goal from Mayo or from Derry or something like that. So you can tap into all that sort of stuff as well. So um, I suppose it's about time for us to shut up talking about it and actually <laughs> actually uh, get about doing it as Conan and said <laughs> yeah no it's that but de- I, I genuinely think that the likes of RT the likes of TG Cahir any TV company that wants to get into the mix on this club there's a huge opportunity now obviously like you're not going to report on every score that comes in like the video printer but you could have a latest score after the water break 15 minutes and then halftime scores with a little report there has to be a way of doing it where everybody doesn't feel that they're missing out and everybody's not checking Twitter while there's a deferred game going on because when you know the result of a game it's not it's it's much more difficult um definitely to watch it i mentioned bally gunner winning seven in a row uh yesterday this wasn't a great watch maybe it's just because it was a disappointing um live game because the live game is really the big one um their manager said after the game he says i think we're raising the bar every single year we go out it's up to the other teams to get to that level so i'm not sure if they're talking about splitting bally gunner um down in waterford or anything like that um conan but like i mean it is that argument have they gotten too good is it a boring championship or are they raising the bar that other teams are going to try and reach them or are the teams trying to reach them going to get demoralized and go jesus they're too strong they've just won four minors in a row and they've won seven in a row senior yeah and they've, they've a and b teams winning as well at underage so it's uh it's definitely a, a juggernaut and like to be honest when when i saw them play there in that game i've never seen a team strut around as much in a final like you know just with so much belief and so much experience and like just back themselves that this this is what they do. They they win these finals. Like and I can only imagine like what the passage players are feeling coming into the game and, and how big it was. And it just it didn't look that way. Everything Bally Gunner did, it just it just smacked of like confidence. And you know, like they all turn on the ball. I think it was Kevin O'Mahony's goal. Like the, the way he turns when he receives a slitter and he's always got his defender squared up and takes him on. Everyone they were taking boys on. The was it Desi Hutchinson pickup at the start? Yeah, just, he did it twice, all, yeah. 
yeah, it was just oozing quality, everything you were doing. And like the, the finish from Mahan into the bottom corner or something, the passing was was unreal. And it just looked from like, I think they went 5-0 up or whatever it was. It, they never looked like they were going to lose. And that's probably uh, a byproduct of just them winning constantly throughout the years. Yeah, well, the brilliant thing Kevin Mahoney did, and it's the same as Gaelic football, so I can speak about this, is that he could he could inside Noel Connors, and if he kept going straight, Noel would have caught him. But what he did, he stepped into Noel and then stepped away from him just to get that one yeah. kind of half yard more. And you can see that in Gaelic football as well. Noel Connors takes a step back, and now he can't reach him you know, when Kevin Mahoney takes the step back out on his outside and buries it. That was a brilliant goal from a 19-year-old taking on Noel Connors with absolutely no respect for him whatsoever yeah. in one-on-one. It was it was fantastic. a brilliant team, Bally Gunner. No three cheers uh, for the losing team, Connor, again. Uh, Barry Coughlin this time. Um, it is what it is, is pretty much what Barry uh, was kind of saying a few different times to Passage. Um, not the most heartfelt message to them, but like, I mean, they play Gaelic football together with Gautier, so they know each other. But again, no three cheers. This can be the precedent going forward, Connor. Yeah, what what else are you supposed to say? I suppose there's no there's no point, you know, plumbing yeah. with empty kind of sentiments and stuff. And whether it's a thing that they were listening to Simon Donoghue a couple of weeks back, Willie, or whether they're listening to ourselves last week, uh, at least the message is getting across, which is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, probably more Simon Donoghue, I would imagine, uh, potentially than us. But listen, we'll leave it there, boys, because Bally Gunner joined Captain Philip Mahoney. Um, has joined us on the line now. Philip, seven in a row, not bad going. Yeah, look, it's massive. It's, um, if you look back at 2013 when we lost the passage, finally, if you were to say that we would go on and win seven in a row after that, you, would, um, you probably would have laughed at that. But look, it's, it's great. It's great to see, you know, there's been a lot of hard work done behind the scenes over the last number of years and that kind of thing. And to win seven in a row, it's, just, it's an unbelievable achievement. And like, I mean, would it have been that crazy back in 2013? Because uh, that, that result was a surprise. I presume you knew you had a very good team, you know, coming through. Yeah, look, I, I we was actually chatting to somebody about that last night. And I, like, I don't think in 2013, we probably weren't, we didn't have as strong a team as we have now. Um, but I think probably the spine of the team that we have, say, yesterday was slain that day. And it's definitely been a massive driving factor. But look, in fairness, the passage that day, they were definitely full value for their victory and that kind of thing but we've managed to just kind of push on 2014 Fogel Harley took over and drove things on and that kind of thing and we've just been managed to kind of um, to keep taking every game as it comes since then and um, it's just brilliant then to get the, the seven row as I was saying it's just it's an unbelievable achievement yeah, and there's no sign of it stopping. Like you've won four minors in a row, and like you, you're filtering a couple of new lads. We had Morris Shanahan on the show last Thursday, and he was saying that every year you're coming with two or three new lads, you know, to keep it fresh, um, and things like that. Yeah, definitely. I think the last, I think there was since the monster final in 2018. I think there's been five new lads that played part of the game yesterday, which is massive. There's um. We've been very successful over the minor the last few years and there's a lot of hard work done in the club but there's a lot of the senior players that have involved with the minor teams over the last number of years. I know Sock was involved this year and Korg was involved last year and that kind of thing but it's great. The young lads are, are um, definitely adding to things as years go on. Yeah, because you're winning games easy enough now in fairness, Philip, aren't you? Like, I mean, whenever I think of Bally Gunner, I don't think of Bally Gunner without thinking of Mount Sion almost in the same kind of breath. There's no, you don't have a huge rival, rival really down there anymore. I know you won't want Probably to admit. That. I know, I'd say you yeah. have, but like, I mean, the other teams seem to be a level, a level below you at the moment. Would that be fair? Oh, look, I don't think so. If you look at 
you know, the way we prepare for games this year and the last number of years is no given to everyone and the respect that they deserve and that kind of thing. And there's a huge rivalry between all the clubs in Waterford. You know, we even the semi final against Lismore, you know, we prepare for that game. You know, we knew Lismore were going to bring a massive challenge and probably didn't click for a lot of the day. But there's a lot of very, very good teams in Waterford and you know, the day we take our eye off the ball or today we're not right or we're not working hard enough on the field is the day we'll be beaten and we've been just lucky enough that to get a strong run and we've a lot of momentum going and there's a lot of young lads coming into this team as, as you were saying there but look there's definitely a massive rivalry there's huge challenges in the water and it mightn't seem like that from the outside looking at scores or results over the last number of years but it's definitely um, so it's not the case we have it very very hard we work very hard for, for all those wins is that like I mean? Is that the thing, kind of motivating yourselves? And you know, I would think it was Desi Hutchinson was interviewed after the the match yesterday, and he was talking about if he doesn't play well, he's looking over his shoulder. Like I was finding that hard to believe, but maybe that's the case. Yeah, look, there's probably there's probably there's a lot of lads who would have trained from the start of the year with us that didn't make the panel over the last say three weeks for the knockout game. A lot of young, the minor lads you were referring to there. Would it, some of them would have played last year. There's a few lads that would have played last year in the quarterfinals and knockout games, and they weren't even on the panel yesterday. And it definitely does help when you've lads pushing on like that. And so I'm sure they are probably looking at the game yesterday, thinking, "Do I want to be there back next year and drive things on again when we go back training, whatever that is?" But look, there's huge rivalries in Waterford. There's huge, um, huge challenges, as I was saying. And if we don't get better next year, we won't win it. And that's just the way we take it. Yeah, most people will know yourself and Porrick. Well, all hurling people will know yourself and Porrick. Then uh, Mikey sets up Kevin for an absolutely beautiful goal yesterday, a lovely ball into him. And in fairness, Kevin's only a young player, he's only 19. He only had to turn Noel Connors and stick it into the back of the net. So I'm sure you were proud when you saw that goal going in. Yeah, look, the, the two lads, Kevin in particular, as soon as over the, the lockdown, that he's developed himself physically and that kind of thing. And he, he's very diligent in terms of the preparation. And I think he. Earlier in the year, we were playing challenge games and we actually weren't going going too well. And Kevin was probably the standout player for us. And then in the quarterfinal, semi-final, he didn't kind of um, Joe. He was wasn't as good as he was yesterday. But look, it was great to see Kevin and like so Paddy Levy was there last year. Tyke Foley, younger lad that was saying like driver on. Definitely, it's it's brilliant. Yeah, is there any more Mahonies that we need to know about here? Or is it just the four of you? No, there's the four of us now. Big <laughs> for Emily now, please come over but it's the four of us and Emily. Right, okay. So you know, so there's five there's five children and, yeah. and she plays Camogie for Bally Gunner. Yeah. No well goals here, so the same as the lads are going back playing football now next week with goals here, so the goals here the Camogie Club in, in Bally Gunner Passage, Dunmore East, that kind of area, so yeah, exactly. Uh, do you 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 don't? Uh, do, I think it's just Desi and one or two more that that uh, play jewel, is it? Yeah, there's a few lads, just Desi and JJ and Billy O'Keefe and Barry Coughlin's playing this year as well. He, he's a very good footballer, so a few other lads, but it's not not a huge amount. It's just only five or six. Come here, you you were captain last year and you're joint captain this year, so you can give us a perfect uh, explanation of how different it is. To lift the cup, um, you lifted along with uh, Barry yesterday with no supporters in the ground. How weird was it? Yeah, look, it's different. It's like not to see your family and friends around. I can think normally after a county final, a special feeling that you've got a few moments that you can come around and celebrate with your friends and family. But look, it is different. Look, it's different for everyone. Life is different at the moment, that kind of thing. But 
Look, I think yesterday, in a way, it was nearly kind of nicer because we probably you're training all year with the lads, and it's just them, and it's probably even more unique. But look, it's different. It's it's um it's still a special feeling, no matter what way you look at it. It's to win the county championship, I remember going to county finals years ago, watching Bally Gunner being beaten, say 2006, 2007. I think it was due to water and coming out of the ground devastated, and you have to cherish it because you don't know it could be the last one we win. Yeah, exactly. So who decided between yourself and Barry who made the speech um, yesterday? How did you decide Barry could do that? Oh, we were just quick chat there during the week and I said to Barry, what do you think? And he was like, I was like, you do what I said last year, so you fire away. And he was like, grand, but nothing major really. Yeah, and like, I mean, he didn't give the three cheers. We were talking to Simon Donoghue um, last week. He didn't give three cheers. He said it was childish. Uh, Barry didn't give the three cheers yesterday. Um, he might have said something nice, you know, about passage that we, you know, maybe I'm not sure how much thought he put into that or whether the three cheers are like a an, an old kind of tradition. Yeah, look, I, we've been on the losing side as well. Like, there's not really too much you can say in fairness. And, you know, when you're on, when you're on the field, we've been there a few times, same as health There's not really anyone can say it, so it's irrelevant really. But there's a huge respect between ourselves and passage, you know, we're, Local rivals, obviously, they're very, very close to us. We would have went to school together and would have played hurling together, a lot of this and that kind of thing. So, look, I think it's there's not really too much you can say when you lose a county final. You just want to kind of get off the field and get out of there as fast as you can, and there's not really too much you can say. Yeah, Camille, you were man of the match yesterday. I saw the producer running over to you straight after the final whistle, and you had to tell him to calm down that you want to kind of celebrate with your teammates. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, what stage did you go back over then? Like, it almost takes the good out of winning man of the match when you can't jump around with your teammates. Yeah, I actually said to him, I said, can you give me a few minutes? And he said, no, because you'd have to go up and get the cup then. And whatever, I was like, all right, grand, I'm not going to ask you. But um, look, it's, it's that few minutes it's still it's probably when you look back to over the next few days and that kind of thing see the lads and kind of when you work very very hard for something to to enjoy but look it's to all we wanted to do yesterday was win and whatever happened after was probably secondary but just a great feeling to to see the lads after the game and that kind of thing and it's those few minutes after the game where you probably train really hard for it that it's fully unique yeah, no, it definitely is. Commercial, so are you happy with your decision to retire? Like, I mean, you're in great shape. You're, you've won a county title. But I'm sure when you made the decision to retire, there would have been a Munster club and a potential All-Ireland club because you're good enough for that. Do you know what I mean? Now you're you're finished. Yeah, look, I obviously didn't foresee what was going to happen. But, um, no, look, I, I would have put a massive amount of effort in for war for over years. And I just felt, look, that I, if, if I wasn't probably enjoying it as much as I did in previous years and that kind of thing. And, just to go back to the club even earlier in the year before all the COVID and that kind of thing was brilliant and to train with say the younger lads that I would have been involved with over the, with the Valley Gunner Miners over the last few years and that kind of thing but look I obviously didn't foresee what was going to happen but I'm happy with the decision and probably it's probably more enjoyable in a way to go back and train there's less pressure on I suppose and that kind of thing just playing with, playing with your club and that kind of thing but look I'm happy with the decision it's, I had a good chat with Liam Kyle in fairness and I'd be fully supportive of all them, all the lads going forward. Yeah, and what if Liam was to ring you now uh, tomorrow when the celebrations die down and says, look, you only have, we're starting training on September 14th, you're in great shape, it's only for, it's only another four weeks until the Cork game. Do you know what I mean? That's not a huge commitment for you to potentially commit to. Uh, look, in fairness, I, I met Liam, I, I, I was totally honest with him, I, I, 
explaining to him my situation, that kind of thing. I think Liam is enough to be worrying now rather than, than ringing me during the week and that kind of thing. I'm sure he's busy planning for, for the court game and that kind of thing. But look, I, I made my decision. I, I wouldn't change it, to be honest. I'm probably more happy now with Joe in general and that kind of thing. And right. The lads of the huge challenge going ahead against Cork and I'd be fully supportive as I was saying. Right. So you haven't had to watch Waterford yet, though. That's the really hard part, I presume, to actually have to watch them with, and not be there. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's probably been easier in a way because it's been a long time since I stepped away and that kind of thing. It's probably, you know, it's probably a, lot of, it's a bit easier now than it's, you know, it's nearly a year after I would have stepped away, whereas some people might step away. They might have to watch them play in a few months after and that kind of thing. But look, I, Porig's involved as captain and I have a lot of very, very good friends on the team that we fully support about my work with Kevin Moore. So I'd just be willing the lads on 100%. Yeah, exactly. Come here. When did Red, Red is the Rose become your song? There was, I saw some footage on Twitter um, yesterday yeah. where you were singing that amongst each other. It was like an Aussie Rules team after a match there in a. In oh, a, no. in a <laughs> Sorry, I was Sullivan and Connor Sheen have a little thing going on where trying to do each other in terms of the songs and that kind of thing. So I think Barry actually started it. He's not happy. He didn't get credit for it, but Connor took it on then. But yeah. Um, we were saying after the game that we didn't even get out of the ground before the two of them started off. But <laughs> you know, it's, it's not exactly a team song, right? But the two lads trying to do each other, I think, more than Right, right, okay. So they just pull a new song out of somewhere whenever, whenever they have well, it. There's a few more as well now. I don't know where that one came out of. But right, okay. I'm sure, listen, you'll hear a few more renditions of Red is the Rose uh, this evening, wherever you're going to go. Come here, I'll let you go, uh, Philip. Thanks very much Thanks for taking the call. Sound out. Thanks, William. Yeah, great stuff from Philip there. Um, and he was absolutely outstanding yesterday. I thought that was an interesting one because Philip Mahoney yesterday, lads, was both the man of the match and the captain. So I have been man of the match on a televised game uh, in a county final. And it's like I'm saying to Philip, I don't know that you see the producers grabbing Philip as he was trying to hug his friend, his teammates and celebrate with them. And when you're captain, when you're man of the match and it's live on TV, TG Cahar will send a producer. It's like at Intercounty with Sky or RT or whatever, and you're grabbed. So you don't you don't hug your friends. You don't celebrate. And it's very frustrating in a county final that you don't have that minute to celebrate. And even if it's not televised and you're captain, which I have been, there's some county board official down grabbing you by the arm and pulling you up because you, to have you ready for the trophy presentation. So either man of the match or captain, you can forget about hugging your teammates after the match. Isn't that desperate, Conan? Like, I mean, it's just not, it's not right. They should give you a little bit of time. That's why I've chosen to never be man of the match. And I <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I actually remember, you know, my first, um, my first ever game I covered was uh, St. Pat's Mahara and Sean Murray Lockhart was one of the managers. Can you imagine this? My, my hero growing up and I didn't really know what to do. They were celebrating. I think they just won the the McCrory Cup in Ulster, and I ran into the middle of this. They were jumping up and down. I just, I just knew I had to get an interview, and and Sean Murray pulled me aside and very politely just said, "Look, you know, we'll come over to you afterwards. Like we want to be interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> just just wait, like you know." And I know you're under a bit more time pressure as a TV, but like. You have to understand, I think Sky Sports did it really well. It was Sky or BT or somebody, uh, Jurgen Klopp, after the, they won the Premier League. Um, they were trying to interview him, but then the, like they were playing You'll Never Walk Alone, and the players were having a little moment, and they were all down at the TV cameras, down at the cup, and then the presenter just said to him, do you want to go over there and have have that moment and then come back to us? And they did, and then that just got like mass applause in as well, because everyone recognised it was the, the right thing to do. 
Right, right. Okay, that's it. Oh, yeah, it was very good. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I remember when I was a sideline reporter with News Talk, I never used to try and grab anybody, but I would try and they'd be hugging each other and I might just put my hand up and go one minute or, you know what I mean? Mm. And whenever they would come over. But definitely, grab. well, there was the famous one of bloody poor Tommy Walsh hugging his father and the, and the journalist in actually separating them. Outrageous stuff. Um, yeah, so a little bit of a little bit more time give to the especially after a county final. You don't mind it after any other match. It's grand. Go in, get get in ahead of the the opposition. But when it's a county final, I think they should be allowed. Um, you know, hug their teammates and celebrate it properly. Other county final yesterday, lads, was Mount Leinster Rangers. Um, they won easily in Carlo. They bet Balina Colleen, uh, Balin Colleen. Um, beat them well. Balancolin beat um, uh, St Mullins in the semi-final, which might have been a bit of a surprise. So Mount Leinster Rangers uh, three twenty-one, Balancolin uh, twelve points. So not a great day for uh, competitive uh, county finals. Mount Leinster Rangers being back in the mix it gives us a great chance to feel sorry for them because they, they're not going to make a Leinster club championship and they're not going to play in Croke Park on all the final day this year, the way the championship has has fallen. I want to go to Crow Park on Paddy's Day. I want to more anything in the world. You got any excuse to play that, lads. You just have to play it. There's no doubt about that. Like, I mean, COVID has just ruined his chances of playing in Crow Park on All-Ireland final day. So, like, I mean, I don't know if he's still on the go, but that's, uh, I suppose, an icon- iconically annoying uh, advert at this, at this stage. Um, the best of the rest. Round up of all the rest, lads. I uh, watched Ballymun and Nafina. Um, I don't know that either two of, you, two of you watched this. Did you watch this, Conan? Nope. Well, I, I, I saw you giving out about the price and thought I'm not having any of that. <laughs> well, you see, I was, I was, it was seven euros. I wasn't really giving out about the price. I was actually joking that if I, as a, as a journalist, I have a, a free pass, a free media pass, and I could just stroll into 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 um, Parnell Park, no problem. But sitting at home in my own sitting room, I, the media pass doesn't work for me. So I'm not used. I'm actually not used to paying into matches. Never mind pay, watch them on paying them online, especially for a match that that wouldn't involve teams that you you would uh you know be following but i don't know it wasn't it wasn't anything special this game lads um like i mean production quality isn't exactly brilliant and the camera work just kind of exactly follows the play so like i mean that's grand for club games where you're not analyzing but i don't think these streams are good enough for anybody who wanted to try and potentially analyze a game you know i know we don't do analysis um for club games one mistake i thought nafina made is they put johnny cooper back on dean rock now there was no merchant um, so they lost Johnny Cooper off the half back line and like I mean when you want leaders at club level you want leaders you want him Johnny Cooper at centre back driving that team forward and leading them when you've Johnny Cooper who's not the best man marker in the world especially on a fella like of Dean Rock's kind of size you know or David Clifford's size he seems to struggle and especially if they're going to get some direct ball which Johnny Cooper doesn't necessarily like you, you end up having your talisman struggling instead of having having him leading do you know what i mean um conan like for for me i don't i don't know i think putting your main defender back in corner back when he'd be the perfect choice for centre back especially when merchant wasn't there that could have driven him from the half back line i thought that potentially might have been a mistake Especially as you say, he's marking Dean Rock, so he's he's going to get ball at some stage. Like we we played in a fan a couple of years ago, and we drew with him. Actually, we we would have gotten to the quarterfinals if we had beaten him. But Johnny Cooper went back to cornerback to pick up our corner four, and we were sort of delighted because it's taken a player, a, a big player for them, out of the yeah. middle third, and and we knew as well that the cornerback was still going to get ball because 
we're looking for him no matter what sort of ball it is we're going to give it to him even if it's just a hand pass on the loop so it's really like i get that you're trying to sort of you're you're trying to make a count for somebody who's dangerous but it is that old saying you're robbing peter to pay paul and especially in a big game like ballymon yeah you needed johnny cooper having more influence that was it. Nafina went um, they went five points in at halftime and you think Ballymun are going to uh, bottle it again. They kind of were worried very much about uh, Connor McHugh and Aaron Byrne inside and were trying to cover them off, leaving Nafina loads of extra men out around the 45 and they were just picking off scores very easily. And then um, 20 seconds after the throw-in, James McCarthy burst up the field and scored a point and Ballymun just destroyed them um, in the second half. Like, I mean, they were, they, it was, they started the game brilliantly, Ballymun, for the first 10 minutes. Then Nafina took over and it was all Ballymun in the second half. Nafina really didn't show up in the second half. Um, the Conor McHugh needs to get a shout out for his goal. It was an absolutely brilliant finish and um, a brilliant pass. But we know the semi-finals now in in Dublin: Ballymun Kickhams versus Kilmacud Croaks, which is the for me is the outstanding uh, semi-final, and Ballyboden versus St Jude's. Anthony Rainbow still not in the mix for Ballyboden. Nearly got caught with Rahini uh, Conan. <laughs> yeah, but they're doing all right. They're, they're getting through. I heard uh, Rahini got a goal disallowed as well, which they're be a bit sore about because it went to went to extra time. But just to say on Ballymun, I thought uh, Brandon Hackett, the manager, spoke really well afterwards. He was talking about them being five points down, and and we just had to find what was really in there. Do you know, it was just like he was talking about like people put too much stock into what the managers are saying at halftime, and he said the best players they come up with solutions on how to get o- over the top teams, like, and, that, and that's what they did. They've got the they've got the leaders, and and they got through it. And I just thought it was a uh, really well spoken by him, especially because they've blitzed everybody they've played so far. But um, I don't really want to talk about the Dublin Championship anymore, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, that segues nicely into Kevin McManaman's goal. Like, I mean, at what point do you let Kevin McManaman make a run from his own forty-five and score a goal at that? stage the first lad he skips past just like he's not even there I would be I wouldn't be as critical as him like I mean you can get a bit lazy out around the middle third ask someone else to stop him but your full back had to know there's danger on here and he can't he cannot get past me here <laughs> you well, throw this over to me or Connor myself and Connor were talking about this this morning and I said that uh, I, I'd take this one just to, to spare Connor and having to criticise his own teammates so, take it Connor take <laughs> it take it well I thought I thought the same thing uh, I thought that um the half back for a start because Kevin McManaman picked up the ball on his own forty-five. I think I thought he he kind of he surrendered his kind of uh, his surrendered his attempts to kind of tra- chase him a bit early, and then the fullback definitely should have come out earlier because by the time he went out to meet him, McManaman had all the momentum and just kind of swan past him. And then after that, um, I thought that uh, the cornerback should have got to the rebound first. Maybe the keeper should have maybe directed away from goal, but I thought that uh, he had a couple of yards to spare McManaman. He should have got there beforehand. So that's my analysis, and that that allows Conan to go back to the dressing room whenever he has to next without you know having to say why he was criticizing his own team. Uh, surely Conan's retiring at this stage. Surely he's not going after like a horrific year off injured after you know a great year for Scaries. They weren't disgraced, Conan. I suppose is is the is the most important thing. It was a it wasn't it wasn't a hammering. I know, and like I suppose every team thinks this, but like you know, just from seeing the reaction of the boys, like they think that they could have done a lot more as well. Like you know, didn't really move up through the gears. Like they felt like they they could have. Stephen Smith picked up an injury, which is obviously a a big one for us. But um, 
yeah, like they, they didn't they didn't disgrace themselves. But I think Scaries really do. Like they wanted to get their quarterfinals last few years. They did, and they want to sort of push on a bit more. And you have to start competing with you to do that, I suppose. Yeah, meant to say Paddy Small went off injured for Ballymun. It looked like a hamstring, so we'll have to see how that um, turns out. His his replacement, Andy McCall, a tiny little fella with the most beautiful little finish. Um, for a Bally, Ballymun goal I'd say he must play soccer because it was just a lovely little flick around the side um, of the goalkeeper I thought he he definitely deserves deserves a mention um, David Clifford sent off lads he scored a late goal he was really in the action last 10 minutes East Kerry looked to be in trouble he scored 1-1 um, his goal if you saw it you just need to have big long legs like David Clifford to actually throw the ball to the side of the man he was marking and wrap your foot around it <laughs> like I mean it was impossible for him to be to be um, to be blocked. Then he scored that goal. And then off the play, anybody wants to go online, they'll, they'll be able to see this. And he's he's battling with his man. And it is a red card, lads, because he it, it's hard to see. He either kicks him or he knees him into the stomach or into the, it could be even into the balls. Like, who knows? It's hard to fully make it out. I'm not sure if you could make it out, Conan. I put it on full screen. But like, there's there's two ways of looking at this. David Clifford has that side to him. I think there's no doubt he, he definitely is a class act, but he's also com- combative and he's not shy about looking after himself on the field. I, I quite like that about him because when you look at the best players, they're getting blackguarded half the time. Like Aidan O'Shea, especially the big fellas, Michael Murphy, they're being blackguarded off the ball. They're being held. They can't free themselves. So they have to take the law into their own hands sometimes. And that looks to me what Clifford was doing. Now, I'm not excusing what he did. It was wrong. But I have some sympathy. Clifford would not do that to him if he wasn't being mauled. <laughs> do you understand? Like, I mean, I know the, the that doesn't make it right. But that's at least the, explaining the motivation for doing it. Well, that's it. Like, you know, he, he has done this before. I've seen him against Dublin and stuff off the ball. Like, he, you know, he definitely reacts. Not even reacting. He looks after himself. Like, you know, he, it's that yeah. old thing. Like, you know, how many times he told, especially the best players growing up, like, do not let somebody keep a hold of your jersey. Like, you know, get, get them off you. And he probably, even with his stature and the amount of games now just being covered with linesmen and on TV and stuff, he still, still has that attitude where he's doing whatever it takes to get these boys off him. And, like, I get a little bit annoyed, like stupid. It was a, it was a sending off, and either he's going to have a one game ban or a two game ban, depending on whether he think there was force or minimal force. But one game ban, there's no doubt. You think so? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Kerry County Board are going to be giving it to yeah. him, right? <laughs> right enough. But like, it does annoy me. Like sometimes I think the referees are are in on it along with the defender. Like the defenders initiated this again. Like, you know, East Kerry have the ball. David Clifford wants to be freed up. Defenders yeah. holding him. And it's almost like the referee's delighted as well that Clifford has reacted. You know, it's like, no, oh, no, no, you got caught and, and there's nothing's done about the defender who was grabbing him. Like again, Clifford yeah. shouldn't have reacted that way, but just just punish the defender of a yellow card at least. Sometimes don't you have to have unbelievable respect, Connor, for the Kieran Kilkenny's the Michael Murphys, the Aidan O'Shea's, the fellas who are blackguarded the whole time and never do it. And then you have fellas like Dear McConnelly and David Clifford, and I'm not criticising them again. Like, everybody's different. Everyone just can't be completely relaxed on the field. The problem with David Clifford is now, if he gets in, if people start understanding that he's like that, like Dear McConnelly, he's not going to make life easy for himself because it'll be said in the dressing room before games, lads, he has a short fuse. Torture him. So, you know, Connolly gets a hard deal and sometimes reacts more than others. Whereas, you know, you're going out against Kieran Kilkenny, you'll blackguard him more to try and stop him, but you won't be doing it because you think he's going to react and get him sent off. 
Yeah, and I don't know how they do it either. Like, is it just that Aiden the likes of Aiden O'Shea and Michael Murphy are that physically strong that they can just like they're able to kind of push people off with us, like you know, as opposed to actually hitting them or something like you know, because the 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 the, the natural reaction as David maybe not kick out like David Clifford did, but to try and do something to you know to hit them a little bit of a bell to get them away from you. So the restraint being shown by those lads is is unbelievable. And you're right about Clifford that that's you know um, he I I didn't think he had it. I didn't think he had it maybe to the extent that you guys are mentioning it, but now that I think back, he probably does. Uh, maybe not in the same bracket as Jeremy Connolly. The other person I was thinking when you mentioned that name was Killian O'Connor definitely came to mind. But to be had... fair, I haven't I haven't seen Jeremy Connolly kick out a knee or a kick like that to a player, in fairness. Not a knee. I suppose the only thing he did, the, the one the one thing that instantly comes to mind for me was when himself and Lee Keegan got uh, grappled on the floor for the semi-final that time. And I think he might have thrown out a thrown out a belt that got him suspended for the semi and then he got off at the last minute. That, yeah. That's going back to 2016. But uh, but just in this case, yeah, Clifford will have to know, like, he'll have to be, like, people are going to rile him up anyway. And now that they think that he's going to react, that that's going to give them even more temptation to do so. And just, it's a pity nearly in this case, because, like, I know, just looking at the clock, there was, like, it was five minutes into injury time. East Kerry were two points to the good after Clifford having got the goal to kind of put them that in that position. Yeah. Seemed to me like the fullback wasn't really under the guy that was running with the ball wasn't really under any pressure. So while like Clifford could have probably could have got away with not having to get away from your man, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's easy to say that in hindsight, but like I know, but like you mentioned the ban there, the one game ban, hundred percent a red uh, only one game ban. And if the appeals process in Kerry is anything like it's been in Mayo in the last couple of weeks, then he's probably every chance of getting away with it as well. <laughs> so we know that we know the Kerry semi or we know this the four semi-finalists. Kemir were beaten by Mid Kerry. Um it's Crokes, Mid Kerry, St. Brendan's and East Kerry again. Um it's Crokes and the area teams um who who are making it. Tony Brosnan hits eight points uh for Crokes. They beat uh Temple No um fairly easily. There was two classic penalty shootouts at the weekend, lads. So first one was Boris Ali. They're out. They're Munster champions, all Ireland finalists. They're out on penalties to rivals Drum and Inch, who have a fella called Shamie Callanan, um, who I'm sure the two of you will will have heard of um playing for them. So Brendan Maher missed a penalty. He actually brought the game to extra time with a long range uh, free way back in his own way back in his own half. He finished with twelve points. Shabby Callan got one nine. Um, I'm pretty sure. So like I mean, absolute drama. And this is it. You're kind of following this on on Twitter, and you're getting really frustrated that you're missing out on a Conan. This is definitely one that was kind of kind of annoying me. Like Boris Ali are leading by five points towards the end of normal time. Um, JD JD Deveni um, got a goal to put them five five clear. They're defending champions, they're monster champions, there's no way back. And Drum and Inch get two goals and that is bloody Brendan Maher who has to rescue Boris Ali. What bloody drama are we having here? And I'd love a live report from that bloody game. Yeah, like the goes to penalties, like even more drama. You yeah, we're going live. It's gone to penalties. We'll go live and cover the penalties. <laughs> yeah, like for, forget about this uh, passage game which is already... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you have like Shimi Callan at one end, Jerry Kelly at the other. Like every time I was getting an update, it was like, Jesus, like that's exhilarating there. And then big David Butler comes off the bench and scores two two as Drum and Inch come back into it. Like, uh, like that's that's the game that should have been shown. And again, if you had a soccer Saturday style thing, drop everything and get to it. Yeah, get to it. That's what I, That's exactly it. Nina uh, hammered Terla Sarsfields, which is another very surprising result um, coming out of Tipperary. So it'll be interested to see that. On Friday night then, it was a tra- and I have to hold my hands up in Tyrone, Conan. I was being a bit cheeky because I remember it was at, um, up in Errigal Ciaran last year 
and Ballygally and I went to a league match, one of Errigal's league matches with Peter Canavan. I think I was saying it on the show and he was trying to explain to me Tyrone football is coming out of that really defensive um, play. And then we watched that league match and it was a very defensive game and Peter was losing his head saying, Jesus, I brought you to the, I really brought you to a bad game. But on the evidence of this game, this was a really good game. And it was it it wasn't like obviously players get back into position at times, but there's none of this retreating ahead of the ball. Um uh, four hundred people at the game definitely helped the atmosphere. The penalties helped the the quality of scores, especially for Mark Bradley and Lee Brennan, just very, very high quality uh, stuff. That's it. I lost count of how many outside of the boot scores there were as well. And yeah. like that's actually one thing that I always associate with Tyrone football, just outside of the boot, like cocky scores. Like and I grew up, you know, hating Tyrone through the noddies and it was because they had that they had that swagger and they played football so well. And then I think just during the last decade there, just followed the way that the county game was going and they went into defensive systems. It was always really competitive, but the scoring wasn't that high. But that was uh that was some advertising. I mean, you mentioned Mark Bradley. I think he scored two off his right, did he? He's, he's, I think he got three. He got three sensational scores off his right. He must have been practising that like mad. I didn't realise that was, his right was as strong as that. And his goal, he, he caught the mark, yeah. but he just, he just kept going, came in the, the byline and just like bent it with so much venom over the inside yeah. of his foot off the post and in. And, and continued his run then on, Connor, like James Carr down in the Gaelic grounds. You know those ones where yeah, you bury right, yeah. in on the run and your momentum just con- you just continue on in that direction it, it just uh it looks pretty cool oh it did yeah but like what a goal and like the like Conan said he bent like to me he just that angle was all set up for the old um you know the caress r2 finish into the far corner but he he didn't do that it came off the outside of his boot and went in literally just inside the post on the far side i think that was at that, that was right at the start as well and kind of uh mark bradley signaling uh kind of what was to come but uh what a game like i, I don't know like how we like i think we'd pitch this as i know you're being cheeky as a potentially kind of dour game i tuned in i think just for the second half and uh you know like uh, any game that goes to penalties as well as soon as i see that it's there uh, as soon as i saw that coming up on twitter i'd left it actually I was like well i'd have to get back to this game immediately but the quality was uh the quality was unbelievable and just and it kind of you know what it made me kind of there was 400 people at the game as well and it just kind of made you think yeah that like you don't think you're missing kind of crowds of games and then you see the reaction that that sort of game get and it kind of thinks we could do with that uh we could do with that um all over the country as soon as possible but no what a what a game what a game to have on on tv and friday night as well lee brennan scored a point in the first half that was nearly in rory Began territory it was that far out it was a real boomer going jesus he's not going to shoot from there and uh it made it over the bar it, you have to give a shout out to oren grimes and killy claher goalkeeper because he made a great save um from a penalty to deny lee brennan i'm pretty sure i can't remember the game it's just come to my head here now that lee brennan missed a penalty in an intercounty game and he stuck it down in that bottom corner as well. Can't think who that was against. Maybe it was a league game that we were uh, reviewing um, one day. But was it he... Monaghan in the semi-final? Did he miss a penalty that day? Could have been. It was in a pretty. It was in a decently a decent. Uh, telev- it was in a televised game, anyways. But it was the identical penalty. I remember it. It's kind of even the technique was the exact same. Um, but well, Grimes saved it because I'd say he just knew that that's Lee Brennan's go-to penalty, and it's most. It's most players uh, go to penalty. Um, it's it's the bottom corner, you know, pulling it across um, mm-hmm. into the other side, and then he steps up and scores an absolutely brilliant game, brilliant uh, penalty himself. So 
Um, that was absolutely fantastic. Then you have the Killy Clotter, number 20, uh, one of the subs. What are you doing getting the sub to take the, the important penalty um, like that anyways? Okay, I don't want to be too uh, critical because the Trillick, the last penalty from Trillick was a sub as well and he scored it. But in fairness, the number 20 from Killy Clotter, he telegraphed that, Conan. Like, I mean, anyone would be able to know where this fella is. Put, he's just going to side foot that into that corner. Yeah, I actually couldn't believe the amount of subs that were hitting penalties. Like they, maybe they were just the best penalty takers. But yeah, the way the way he ran and like maybe fresh legs, maybe would that be a thing? Or maybe you know you have a kind of a soccer lad that's not doesn't commit enough. <laughs> that's to, what I'm uh, saying. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't commit <laughs> enough to play to start. But geez, that man's a good penalty taker. Get him on. <laughs> yeah. Like that's good. Like it's a good sort of tactical thing there. We can start bringing on your soccer lads in the last two minutes. <laughs> to get the pitch. But you're right. Like. He telegraphed it, but his angle also, it, it didn't give him a lot of sort of wriggle room where he could get get it right into the corner. I thought it was a, it was a decent penalty, but once the keeper guessed the right way, then like, the keeper was easy to guess and he was always going to get it, I think. Yeah, Ergil Kieran, speaking of them, they beat Dramore. Um, they're true to the semis too. That was 12-11. That might have been a bit more like the game that uh, that I was talking, kind of explaining that Killy Clower Trillick might have been. James Woodlock, the drum and inch manager, former Tipperary player, and I put this after these two penalty shootouts, he says, I think it's an awful way to finish a game. Now, bear in mind that uh, Drummond Inch won the penalty shootout. I think it's an awful way to finish a game. An absolutely awful way. I called him into a huddle there and said, lads, look, I need five penalty takers. I need five leaders. And the five leaders stood up and the boys that I expected to take it. Like, I mean, he's just wooded. He says it's an awful way to finish a game. I couldn't disagree more Connor, like he's asking for more extra time. Jeez, I don't know. You're out on your feet at that stage. Like, I mean, I, look, I'm being selfish by thinking these penalty shootouts are incredibly exciting. And I know it's the old cliche in soccer that it's an awful way to decide a game. I am i don't agree with that. I think it's brilliant. But what's what's the alternative? Do you know, like if if, if like if there's an alternative to, you know, to penalties that that he could suggest, maybe. And I know he's not going to suggest it immediately after a game that he's just won on penalties. But I suppose the alternative would be something like what, like first score wins or next score wins or something like that, or maybe a free taking competition. So like the only reason that penalties are being called on to decide these games is because it's been, you know, it, like it has to be on the day. And if you subscribe to that. You're going to subscribe to a way that some some of the times it's just not going to be fair. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not if you can come up with a solution that's like that everyone can agree on is going to be a perfectly fair way to end the game. Well, then fair enough. But that's not the case. And no offense to James Woodlock, but no more than soccer uh, penalties are the most exciting thing. <laughs> They're neutral anyway. So you know, like if uh, if if it, like some clubs are occasionally going to have to suffer. But I think like unless until we until we get a better solution, uh, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be disagreeing with them anyway. Well, yes, the thing, and we've tried the free kicks, and they were desperately boring. So they were got they were gotten away with. At intercounty level, we've tried one period of extra time, and then a shorter period of extra time. And literally, the players are walking around dead on their feet. Amateur players, Conan. Like, I mean, for me, it's the obvious. It's the obvious answer. That's it. Like the the solution is win it in normal time after sixty minutes, or you've got an extra twenty minutes to try and win it. And if you can't do it in those two periods, eighty minutes of football, then I'm sorry, but the, like you've drawn the game. You know, like if you really don't want to go to penalties, then try like make sure you win it. And if you draw, then it's just as bad as going out. If you get a penalty shooter to try and go through, then like that's that's the price you pay for not winning it. And yeah, it's it's great for the for the neutrals. So not more beat Ballantober. I I call this right, lads. Ballantober, um, Ballantober. I don't know if I call this result, but I was said that I was never too impressed with Ballantober. So they were going for three in a row. They're out, um, beaten by Knockmore. 
Um, so Knockmore now, funnily enough, are going to play Ballina and Briefy, who hammered Balladrine, are going to play Westport. And they're both repeats of the group stages, Connor. So a little bit underwhelming. You would have preferred maybe the two um, semi-finalists to have been paired the other way around. But one of the funny parts of the weekend was... Uh, when Briefy hammered Balahadrine after Balahadrine had such a brilliant start, that was kind of surprising turnaround. But it was a scuffle between Andy Moran and Aidan O'Shea. And Andy Moran uh, starts taking the piss out of Aidan O'Shea, holding his face and acting like he's kind of, you know, been, uh, been hurt more than he is. And Seamus O'Shea coming in behind Andy Moran, grabbing him by the scruff of the neck and pulling him out of there. Like, I mean, so it was all happening in in maybe that split or that 10 seconds there's a lot, lot went down. Yeah, it was hilarious, wasn't it? Like, a, I don't know, is um, I don't know, was Andy's reference like in general, Dave O'Shea, or if if he was referring specifically to uh, there was an incident in the Castle Bar. Uh, Westport game where um, Aidan O'Shea had a collision with Rory Byrne, the keeper, and he went down fairly easily. And that was also on TV. So maybe Andy was specifically referring to that one. But the thing is, out of all that instant bully is that I thought what was a genuine uh, attempt to go for the ball for Keen Hanley, and he slipped into Seamus O'Shea, prompting the reaction from Andy and then uh, from Aidan, and then Seamus and Andy got involved. And after all that, Keen Hanley got the first of his two yellows. And then about 10 minutes later, he got the second, which was soft, but he can only have himself to blame because he was on a yellow and there wasn't much contact, but there was intent. He got said Keen Hanley had been having a massive uh, opening half and then he got sent off. And I've never seen, I've rarely seen a game to be turned so much by by one red card to one player because like uh, Bala were only, Bala stuck with it then until I think they were only a point down after the third quarter, but they lost the second half by 18 points to one. Jesus. Uh, like yeah, Brafey. I, I think Brafey scored two or three goals in the last uh, in the last quarter when they completely took over. But like the the scoreline does not reflect the game whatsoever. For the, for the first half, Balladrine were the better team, and then uh, Brafey just completely took advantage of Keen Hanley being uh, being off the pitch. So it's a pity. But uh, but yeah, in terms of like um you know in terms of like not more you you mentioned it like I've I've seen Ballantyre over twice this year they've been underwhelming they they strike me as a team that kind of maybe need a break or something like that I don't know but not more were, were well worth their victory and while like you said that it's kind of disappointing in terms of the lineup for the semi-finals for for people in Mayo it's probably w- with Castlebar and Ballantubregon, who've completely dominated the championship for the last few years, it's really interesting now to see that there's going to be a new kind of uh, a new winner this year. And like after the, there's, I I think there's very little separate the four. Like I think Bravey and Knockmore are now favourites, but I think there's very little separate the four teams that are left. So um, so yeah, there's there's plenty more room for surprise there as well. Yeah, lovely little goal from Andy Moran. Um, I saw him and McGee tweeting about people should study Andy Moran's movement, and that's fair enough. But like, I mean, I, I've seen Andy Moran, you know, his movement be better than this. This is just a basic run to the sideline and double back. I would give all the credit to the to the pass, the because the wing forward didn't have to give that pass because sometimes you're playing on teams, right? And everybody wants those balls Andy Bourne gets. I I I'd be convinced that every team Andy Bourne is on, he tells them, do not give it on my initial run. Wait till I double back. Because like I mean it is an easy tactic for an inside forward just to double back, but you never usually get those bloody balls. The eejit out the field will give the first, you know, the, the first, and all of a sudden you've doubled back, your man's left stranded, the ball goes down where you're running, he's winning it out in front, and you've turned back and you look like a stook. Whereas Andy Moran never looks like that stook because the lads out the field are always waiting, not while he runs towards the ball or runs out to the sideline until he doubles back. And there was a lot of patience the wing forward showed because he was under pressure. 
And he could easily have just passed it on down, you know, t- towards the way Andy was running the first time. Yeah, and that was Keane Hanley as well, uh, Willie. That was Keane Hanley who gave that pass. And he'd already got a point before that, I, don't, I think, and was really running the game at that stage. And he, he fist passed it with his left hand, which I'm pretty sure is Keane Hanley's weak hand, on the run. And it was about 20, 20 25 yards. It was a great pass. And I think the, the commentary were putting it down to the fact that, of course, Keane Hanley is experienced in the AFL. And there was a very kind of AFL-style hand pass, you know. But, uh, but yeah, like it, it actually, as it turns out, like, Bala were picking all the right balls to Andy in the first half and like doing exactly that, never giving it to him on his first run, but going in the second movement. And then the second half, probably because of tired legs and they were a man down, they actually started giving that ball. There was a couple of times where Andy ended up behind your man because they gave him they gave him the ball on his first right. movement as opposed to his second movement. And that really like it really kind of like the story of the first half was Keen Hanley and Andy Moore, and then they just uh, after Keane went off, it just it, it it didn't help Andy's movement either, and then and then Brafey took over, which is a pity because, as I said, like I I, I had Brafey, our Balladrine all ends up as being the better team, um, better team, better team first half. Right. Okay. I only saw highlights of that. I thought Keane Hanley was bigger than that. I didn't think he was. I thought he was a bigger man. Um, but anyways, listen. Um, yeah, that's it. He was. He, I thought. He, I thought he put on a lot of kind of bulk and stuff like that over in over in Oz. He looked very slim in that picture. Well, he was very, very lean before he went over. Uh, well, right. and he, like he broke his leg in the, I think it was an All Ireland minor semi final just before he went over. So I think a lot of his first year over in Australia was rehab. So he right. has been on a bit, but like he's, uh, he went over very like 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 he's Pierce's brother, but Pierce is a different kind of uh, body complexion. Yeah, he might have been a bit thinner, but like Pierce now is, is, is you know, he's bulked up into a proper AFL player. Whereas I suppose Keane's time over there was quite short. And a lot like he had a good bit of bulking up to do and a lot of his time was taken up with rehab. So but it's just it's a real pity because like Keen Hanley joined the Mayo panel when he came back and hasn't really had a chance to make an impression. And this was the first time, honestly, I've seen him like really stand out at club level. So and kind of given a signal of the potential that he had before he went to Australia. So listen, it's it, like he learned from that and like he's loads of time on his side. So just just, just hopefully from Mayo perspective, see plenty of him in, in, in years to come as well. Yeah, exactly. Tullerone lost by a point against Aaron's own in Kilkenny. So it was 218 to 120. I think we all kind of have to keep an eye out for Tullerone um, with Tommy Walsh um, involved. So Tullerone amazingly now are in a relegation. You, you remember they drew with Ballyhale Shamrocks and should have beaten them um, in one of the televised games. One of the first games we saw when the, when the I think it was the first game or maybe the, the second weekend, first one since I got back from holidays. So they, Kilkenny is absolute cutthroat championship. There's 12 teams, um, senior teams. Eight of them get into the quarterfinals. Now, you might say that's too many, but the four that are left go into relegation. So, like, I mean, there's no such thing, Conan, as going, geez, yeah, well, look, I might not have made the quarters, but at least I've avoided relegation. Like it is in Leash and most, most counties, I would imagine, there is no hiding place for anybody like they lose by a point to get into the quarter final and to find themselves in the relegation semi final. Very, very harsh in a way. In a way, I, I like I think it. It is harsh, yeah. Like it's it's good because there's no apathy. Like there's no mid table team who won't be doing anything this year. Like they just become a third in the group and then that's them finish for the season. It's like you're either in the knockout last eight or you're fighting for your lives. And then it also means, I suppose, like the it means more than in, in senior B or people are dropping down and then they're, they're trying to get back up. I imagine they went back down again next, like they were down in intermediate last year and then they're trying to come back up when they, when they did so well in senior this year. I That's think it's very I mean. hard. 
Yeah, it doesn't fi- it doesn't seem fair if Tullerone now they play Dainsford, that's Richie Hogan's club, and Craig Belly Callan lost to Bennett's Bridge by only two points and they find themselves in a relegation um semi final. So it's Tullerone versus Dainsford and Greg Belly Callan versus Power um in its toig. Jeez, I don't think I've ever even pronounced that uh, club before. But like I mean that's the that's the relegation relegation semi-finals they have a great championship I, I have to say with um in 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 Kilkenny it's two groups of six so they get plenty of games in the groups and then I th- think it's the the two top teams in the two groups they played in a league final so like I mean they're true and the, the one thing I would like if maybe after the two sixes if they went to semis I know you're saying Conan that you don't want teams in the middle I think it's nice to have that separation between semi-finalists and relegation so you kind of know right well then they deserve to you know they had they're not in that middle kind of zone which is safe they're actually down further they, they, when you go straight from a quarter to a relegation that's what i can't get my head around no i i do i agree with you i'm just trying to think what what they're thinking about doing because there is a there's an element of progression as well where you want to establish yourself in that championship and yeah get, getting in the middle and, and not having to worry about relegation is an important step for a lot of clubs and the like of Tullerone would probably deserves to do that this year but now they, they don't get that chance they're fighting for their lives and they could be back down it's uh it's, it's too harsh for me but maybe in Kilkenny they think look every single game matters so mm-hmm. this is the way we want it yeah the whole analysis Connor that you hear is right we got up this year we established ourselves and now we can kind of build on that poor Tullerone could find himself and Greg Ballycallan just won the came up out of intermediate two years ago you know for me it's too cutthroat now maybe for excitement and everything but Christ let a young team come up establish themselves for a year or two and then maybe in the third year after not being in semi-finals or in relegation maybe make a push yeah there's a balance there i think so like so they go through to relegation semi-finals it's only one team that goes down is that right there's a relegation final and only one team goes down yeah because I only say that because... have to lose two games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I, I just like just comparing it to, to Mayo, there's like there's 16 teams, for example. There's four groups of four, and then like the the bottom team from every group goes into relegation semi-finals, and one team goes down. The only thing I'll say about that is that like there's while you definitely have a point, I I do take that point about teams needing to establish themselves in the certain grade. There's also teams that there's a there's a there's a there's a, there's a, I suppose there's a worry there that they stagnate. Do you know that every year it's just a case that like, well, they know they're not going to go down, but they know that they're not going to threaten really either. And then that, that when you're adding that more cutthroat element into it, adding a bigger threat of relegation, it might kind of, you know, sharpen minds a little more and kind of give them something more to play for. But, but no, that, that's like, you know, eight out, four out of 12 teams, when you're that close, when you're that close to getting to the quarter and that close to going to relegation, that does seem to be cutting it a bit fine. But, but like in terms of like from a from a neutral's perspective, in terms of watching the championship from afar, it does seem very exciting. But like I would have sympathy. It would be it would seem like a real shame. Like with the, and and like we're probably guilty of bias towards Tullerone given our coverage last year. And as you said, Tommy Wells, but it would just seem a little bit really sad for Tullerone if after all that, then they were going to end up in you know back in inter- intermediate when he within a year of that all happening. Yeah, exactly. Rosenalis, huge shock in the Leash Hurling Championship. Rosenalis hammered Camrose 220 to 3-9. Um, like an, an incredible result considering Rosenalis were only promoted um, up to senior last year. Um, and they were 9 nil up at the water break like in the first 15 minutes. Just destroyed them. Like, I mean, and Camrose are the big, really the big team. They were beaten in the semi-final last year by uh, Rhett Downey, but I think they were going for three in a row last year. Like, I mean, that's a huge, huge shock. Camrose wouldn't usually get caught, wouldn't usually not 
not make semi-finals. Um, there's no doubt about that. John O'Loughlin scored a goal for Rosenalis. You'll know his name, lads, because John O'Loughlin came up in the underage ranks with Mount Melick and uh, transferred up to St. Bridget's and won a county title with them. Stayed there for a long, long time. And last year then he transferred back down to Rosenalis, where his family were originally from. So caused a bit of a stir that he came back down and didn't go to Mount Melick. But he's hurling and playing football with Rosenalis um, now. So interesting that he got a he got a goal um, in that one. Um, Douglas beat Middleton. Kind of a, I'm not really sure that would even be um, a surprise. Douglas have a have a good team. Um, Middleton obviously have uh, Connerly Han. Connerly Han had a chance to draw the game, which would have done Middleton. These are two. This is a group of debt um, down in down in um, down in Cork, and this I think was to decide who came out second. He had a free deep in his own half. Um, Middleton were a point down. They only needed a draw. It didn't have the legs, so it it, it got cleared. So a, a lot of excitement there. Middleton wouldn't be used to not getting out of the group. Shane Kingston got 10 points. Alan Cadigan got five. Um, not a bad two fellas to have in a forward line there. Like I mentioned, that uh, Nina hammered uh, Turles. It was Jake Morris got a hat-trick. Um, and Sarsfield's only scored one point in the entire first half. What's wrong with Turles Sarsfield? It's hard to know with the team they have. You'd imagine that they should be winning it um, every year. Loads of controversy in downloads. So uh, first one is Clonduff versus Mayo Bridge. Clonduff beat Mayo Bridge by a point, um, 2.11 to 16 points. So the huge controversy in this is Barry O'Hagan was shooting for a point um, from about 50 yards. And the goalkeeper, his name is Shailen Strain, a strange enough name. He catches the ball. Now, the umpire that sees this, this you just need to go online to see this because there's a bit of a, a controversy about it. Um, it's obviously taken off down TV. So the umpire is back behind the goal. He's not in line with the post and he waves the green flag that it's a goal. The goalkeeper cannot believe this. Now, I looked at this the first time and I went, this is an outrageous injustice. It's a desperate, desperate call. And then I paused it. And he does step a good bit back into the goal, Conan. And the mistake he makes is that instead of catching the ball in his hands in front of him, he catches it on his chest. But where he catches it on his chest, the very top of his chest, just kind of under his neck. And that's a very dangerous thing to do as a goalkeeper because the, the impact of it almost makes you take a step back. So I watched it a few times and I'm kind of on the fence now as to whether it had gone over or not. I definitely, I, I can't be 100% certain that it, that it didn't go over. I was the same as you. I thought, come on. And then, like, everybody saw his feet were behind the line, but they go a good bit behind the line when he catch, yeah. catches the ball. And then you'll see, like, it actually goes a bit further as he comes down because he's got it under his neck, as you say, but then he sort of grasps it with his right arm and then pulls it to the side. So it's sort of in line with his hips now, you know, right. where he's about to sort of put it under his arm and run out. And, like, it could, it could easily have been over the line. Now, the umpire's position isn't great but like i i i'm not as mad to say that, that that wasn't over the line it looked very very close and it's brave call from the umpire it did now we had the we, in live connor it looked like there's no chance it was over the line so it's only when we paused it the, the umpire could potentially have made a good call here okay yeah so i i just went back to have a look as well and i saw that um Sheelan strain is that his name yeah Sheelan strain tweeted about it this morning actually and he he put up two screenshots and he asked how, like, obviously he's going to put up screenshots that make him look better. But he had, like, the umpire, as you said, was behind the goal. And just from that, it's like, 
would he nearly have had to be able to see through him to see where the ball was? And the other thing, the other thing in Sheelan Strain's favour, I'd say, was that, and this is, I'm basing this entirely on what he's saying, but he said that the other umpire, who looked to me in a better position to call it, yeah. first of all, he was, clo- he was closer to that post and he was level with the post as, being, as opposed to being behind the goal. And he was apparently saying it wasn't. Yeah, uh, but he, he wasn't. He had his he head, said, right? He, he said that the ball that wasn't wasn't behind the line. Now, I, I get what you're saying. Like, he absolutely should have caught it in front of him, you know, with his two hands rather than catch it like that. And his feet did go behind the line. But I, I don't know. Like, if you're the umpire that makes that call, do you have to be 100% certain that he was behind? The, you know, we're all saying that we're kind of a bit unsure. So where does the benefit of the doubt lie? Does it lie with the keeper or with, you know, the the fact that the ball may have been behind the line. It just, under the circumstances, it seemed to be a massive call. And just, I just saw two or three minutes highlights, one of about six or seven massive calls um, throughout this game that, like I'd say, Mayo Bridge probably have a, have a right to question a couple of them this morning. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. I would say, Connor's right, Conan, that he probably couldn't see the ball, but what the, that umpire would have been in a good position to judge is how far he stepped back into the net and made a judgment call on that. Now I do take Connor's point as well. If in doubt, give the don't give the goal. Yeah. Well well here's one though. Like the keeper is saying that the other umpire said that it wasn't over, but that other umpire didn't. He wanted nothing to do with that. He he, right. he kept his head down, didn't engage contact. So now I'm wondering Hmm. Is he, can he be trusted now, the goalkeeper? Is he making up a story about this other... Yeah, well, look, can you, can you get a more un- or a more biased um, person in this whole debate? The actual goalkeeper who yeah. let it in and who yeah. caught it and who, you have to say, made a big mistake in standing on his line and catching it high up onto his chest. Madness, technically. You have to have the guts as a goalkeeper to stick your two hands out in front of you. You've got big, bloody pair of sticky gloves catch that bloody ball out in front and don't have this as a debate at all. That's, he took the safe the safe option and now he's after, you know, getting getting a goal, you know, conceded when he thinks it wasn't. So, like, I mean, I don't think he's completely, um, you know, without fault um, as well. In the Kilku-Burren game, there was a huge row um, at the end of that one, guys. I haven't seen footage of this yet, so I don't really know what to say about that. In other news, Dan Patrick have been thrown out. Now, there's a fella on to me on Twitter about this. Seems unfair to me. And this is this is what's happened. So this fixture was fixed last Monday and I went down to the Down County Board and it was fixed for last Monday. And uh, Carrie Duff had had a, a bereavement. So it was meant to be Carrie Duff against Down Patrick last Monday. Carrie Duff had a bereavement. It was refixed then until Wednesday night. And then on Wednesday night, the CCC and Down postponed it again until Friday night. After a request from Carrie Duff, Down Patrick agreed to that grand and now the game is fixed for last Friday night. In the meantime, between Wednesday and Friday, Down Patrick get a positive COVID test. So they shut the club down for 72 hours. And the Down County Board showed Down Patrick out of the championship. <laughs> it seems it seems pretty harsh now, but that's all the information I have. And that's from a Down Patrick kind of uh, viewpoint on this. So I don't really know what to think, Connor. I don't know what, wh- whether you've been able to look into it since. Uh, no, I, that's, I, I only have your account, Willie. And you're talking about reliable witnesses there when you're on about Sheila and Strain and about, you know, the incident he was involved in. So your entire, you know, we're, we're, we're coming at this from an entirely down, you know, down Patrick well, point. We, no, well, we do know the game was fixed on Monday. We do know the game was fixed on Wednesday. We do know the game was fixed on Friday. We yeah. do know that down Patrick have been thrown out of the championship. That sound, that to me, no more than we were that we were talking about Flanagale uh, recently in Dublin. That to me sounds ridiculously harsh. So you know, I I would like to hear some sort of clarification on it from the county board, but on the on the surface of it, especially given the circumstances that Don Patrick were happy to facilitate the rescheduling the fixture, 
it does sound very, very harsh to them. Yeah, poor Shell Maliers, uh, Conan, were knocked out. Castletown beat them 113 to 2-9. Um, like, I mean, this is going to be me saying I told you so and how can a bloody football team train for five weeks without after after without maybe 10 dual players and then land on the Tuesday night before a first round with your 10 players all hung over and then only properly train on a Thursday night together and expect to win a championship match. I imagine that as well long term wise now like that football manager must be reeling about the state of the players coming in they're probably coming back to training in, in drips and drabs and celebrating rightly so but imagine that going on for a few years now where the hurling championship takes place for eight weeks and then the football championships on the back end of that that's just not something that a football manager would be too happy to keep going. No, so you won't hear the Wexford County chairman uh, bragging about the brilliant football championship now that Shell Shellmaliers are knocked out when they would have been one of the favourites. And like you have to say, Connor, that the other way around, if they're on alternate weekends, yes, you will have the same problem with the county hurling champions coming back on the Tuesday night, you know, hungover. The difference is you'll have the work done. You know yeah. what I mean? You'll only need them on the Thursday night to 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 sharpen up. The, the semi-final will only have been, you know, two weeks previous. You'll have had them every second week working on whatever you're working. It it just doesn't work to split way, you know, not for count not for the county finalists. In it, especially Wexford use it as a reason to split them. They have so many jewel. I would say the reason not to split them is when you have so many jewel. Yeah, well, exhibit A in the case for the for, for your argument there, Willie, in fairness, and like the the, the people you'd feel for here is the Shellmaliers lads who wouldn't be involved in, in hurling and who like who concentrate in football only, but they're not going to get the same platform to to speak about their feelings on the dual championship like the Wexford chairman did last week. So very unfortunate for them. Yeah, it was one story left here, lads. We don't have time for a newspaper review, but this caught my eye is the Bowel Joe Brawley um dedicated his whole his whole piece on in the Sunday Indo to absolutely Lynch and Declan McBennett. And I was like why is he doing this? Like, I mean, we've, we've heard all this before. We've heard of the texts and the fact that he loves kind of, you know, boring um, stats and all that kind of stuff. So there was nothing major in the Brawley piece that I hadn't heard before. He did. A, he didn't he do a piece on Ireland Unfiltered with Dion uh, Fanning and, you know, nothing new really was in his piece. And then I was like, why is he doing this? And then they go into the, the Independent on Saturday and Declan McBennett had done a piece with um, Vincent Hogan and he was asked about Joe, he was asked about Joe Brawley. So, like, I mean, Vincent Hogan says, do you have any regrets about the way Joe Brawley's decision played out? Now, Declan McBennett says none. Now, Vincent Hogan gives him a follow up question. And at that point, if I was Declan McBennett, I'd say, Vincent, w- with respect now, I'd rather just concentrate on the pundits that, you know, we have working for us. That Joe Brawley, I've said my piece on that and you know I don't want to get into all of that again no that's not what Declan McBennett does Declan McBennett keeps continues on and he starts outlining the rationale for getting rid of Brawley and like I mean I suppose when you have the ego Brawley has Brawley be reading this you know almost like Jose Mourinho or something like tearing his hair out and so I'd say what really wound up Brawley was Declan McBennett saying now he said this on our show here before his whole three reasons why, what makes a good pundit and its credibility, informed opinion and ability to arch- articulate that opinion. Like if I had a penny for every time I heard Declan McBennett say that, I'd be, I'd be a very rich man. <laughs> so he says there are three reasons why you get a seat. Credibility, informed opinion and ability to articulate that opinion. If you're a pundit and a, and a contract gets cancelled, you have to ask yourself why. And I think if you examine those 
those elements already mentioned, it probably answers that question for everybody. Like, I mean, think about this, Conan. Like, I mean, Brawley's just reading that. Now, Brawley might not have heard him saying that before to say you're not credible. You don't have informed opinion and you're not even able to articulate that opinion. That would really have pissed Brawley off, who's a barrister. So I would say Brawley can articulate his opinion. So I'm ruling that one out. So he's either saying Joe has no credibility or he doesn't have informed opinion. <laughs> and Joe Brawley is not going to let that lie. Like, is he? <laughs> so the brilliant thing about this is that Joe Brawley, this is on a Saturday, right? You'd imagine Joe Brawley ha- having a whole week to do his Sunday Indo piece. He would have had his piece written. You know, that that was it. Mine's done. I've got it in, sent in nice and early. I'll enjoy my Saturday now and have a day off and everything. And then he reads this and he just rips it up and says, here, I, I, I'm writing another one here. <laughs> As a, like, I think, do you have the, the, the copy there, Will? You can read out the, how he segues into talking about Declan McBenham because he, he was originally writing a whole different column and I say that's exactly what he was doing. And then just on the Saturday said, hang on, we're taking a complete like right angle turn here into Declan McBennett and the way he does it is, is genius. Well, this is this is how he gets into Declan McBennett. So he writes the first couple of paragraphs. He's talking about the club championships. He's talking about TG Cahar, Killy Clotter versus Trillick, all this. Then he goes on and he says, there's no logic to the decision by Michal Martin and his coalition um, to ban spectators. The evidence does not support it. It's a foolish ban and he will suffer for it sooner rather than later. GA folk in the 26 counties are rightly enraged. The ridiculousness of, of it now. OK, so that's grand. So right now, you're right. He's probably writing a piece about, you know, the government and stuff, almost like the piece Colin O'Rourke has been writing for the last month. Then he says, the re- he uses a, a little example. The ridiculousness of it is highlighted in the fact that a gale from Monaghan need only drive a mile across the border to watch an Armagh Championship match live. Grant, no problem there. That's a great example. <laughs> Speaking of Monaghan, brings me to Orkey's head of sport, Declan McBennett. <laughs> and then the rest of the piece just goes on to absolutely, you know, kind of lynch Declan McBennett. Um, you know, like, I mean... It, he says, he says, um, we never saw the previous heads of sport who remain on very good terms and keep in contact with. McBennett, by contract, contrast, is a bureaucrat with an obsession with statistics. Soon after he was appointed, all of the RTE pundits were summoned to a meeting at RTE. We all arrived a little bemused as to the purpose, only to receive a lecture on how we should behave and what he expected from us. It was all very schoolmasterish. I was particularly taken aback when we were each given a handout and several pages on the excellence of Sky's punditry and pushed to emulate it. Like, I don't know. You, a lot of time you have to take what Joe says as a pinch of salt. But if it's true that they're being called in and told what they have to do and stuff like that, like, I mean, I don't like Well, I know personally, I couldn't work under those conditions. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that's the style of management that opinionated pundits should really ha- would, would really flourish under Connor. No, I and when you mentioned earlier on, you mentioned that the three um the t- three criteria so it was credibility, informed opinion, and artil- ability to articulate that opinion. And I was thinking, well, like it has to be more. There has to be a bit more criteria than that from for for my money anyway. Like a, a pundit could have, pundit could have all those, and they might be completely boring, you know, yeah. and not like not not in any way entertaining to listen to. And whatever you can, whatever accusation you can level against Joe Brawley, you certainly could never say that he were wasn't entertaining. Unless, so like, uh, unless unless the entertainment is covered under the ability to articulate that opinion, you know, in an entertaining manner, I'm not sure. Maybe he obviously thinks he's covered every single base here because he just repeats that those three <laughs> things. Yeah, and, and as you said, he probably just should have just cut himself off. To me, it was a Q&A format, but he seemed very happy to get that line out there again. 
Whereas he could have just said, as you said, oh, no, listen, I've, I've said what I've had to say about uh, Joe Bradley, because as you said, this this has been covered already. Like uh, Joe's version of events was covered um, in, in that interview with Dion, like extensively. So I was just going back over it this morning. And if anything, it just gave Joe a license to do it again with a couple more anecdotes. You know, yeah. he's on about, uh, um, the chat, you know, Tomas O'Shea asking, oh, what's this guy's what's this guy's deal and stuff like that. The only thing I'll say, like, is that I, I, I agree with you there in terms of like the. That, that that seems a bit off, you know, his his headmasterish kind of manner and stuff like that. But like, uh, maybe there is a case to be made that like, Brawley does, you know, he maybe too easily disregards the appeal of, you know, data driven punditry and and dis dismisses the stuff about dismisses some of the stuff. Let's say that Sky would have done well. Like Joe's argument against that is basically Sky had two thousand listeners for the all two thousand viewers for the All Ireland final. We had a million. Yeah. You know, without going into the reasons behind that and, and not accepting that Sky do a lot of brilliant stuff well. And there may be McBennett had a point in maybe trying to copy some of the good stuff that Sky would have done. But yeah. uh, but no, th- this has been uh, this has been uncovered already. My highlight was the segue into the Monaghan thing. Literally, Joe could have mentioned anything about Monaghan whatsoever. Just, <laughs> just to get in that segue. So uh, just, 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 just a brilliant line. Speaking of Monaghan brings me to RT's head of sport, Declan McBennett. And there you go. Like, I mean, some of McBennett's stats, like, I mean, they're completely irrelevant. Like, Kerry, like, Brawley took screenshots of this. Like, it's getting nasty when he's putting this kind of stuff up, you know, in the paper. It just shows he was obviously hurt um, by what McBennett said. And look, McBennett probably should have left it alone um, at that stage. But Kerry, 36% return. Like, who? what the hell are you going to say about that as regards punditry? Tyrone, 75% return. Kerry, two out of 10 from play, 20%. Like, if you're going to go on punditry and start reading this stuff out, then the best one, productivities, two scores per 10 possessions for Kerry. A completely nonsensical, irrelevant stat. Kerry, 14 points from 17 shots, 82%. Tyrone, 60%. Like, this is not really analysis. There's stats, and stats are not analysis. Like, And a lot of this stuff is, is coming at half time. So... My idea on analysis is that before the game, you should be able to do a good package of what to look out for. You know, at half time, there's not enough time to turn around analysis. Have a bloody chat about the few exactly. talking points of the game. Let the let the viewers enjoy it. And there's a couple of controversial points and a couple of bits and pieces. Give your opinion on where the game's going, how they're set up. But you don't need to do what Sky do and stop the play and do that. It's boring. And then even after the game, again, I'd have a good chat. Those analysis shows, and that's a critique I'd have of Sky, they're for during the week, on it. They're for when you sit down, your adrenaline isn't pumping from the match. You know, you're not kind of shouting at the TV. They're for another day. Uh, and they're also to inform the pundits. You know, they don't necessarily have to use them verbatim. Like they, they can just use them stats to think why has that happened, and then like figure out a reason or figure out some plays that will be interesting. Or like, the, you know, speaking of nonsensical, irrelevant, like Pat Spillane. <laughs> it's like my segue for Declan McBennett, but he reads off those stats at halftime. Yeah, and he just he just lists them out, and it's not good viewing. Like I, I get that stats might be good sometimes, but. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything, as you say. There's not enough time to get into it. We need to watch the match, pick it apart. We will let that stuff happen later on when when we do have time for it. And it's it's interesting that Declan McBennett uses um, Roy Keane in that piece of Vincent Hogan as a good example of 
a really good pundit that he, he can't turn off because he's definitely not that stuff that he seemed to be angling no. for. That like, was a bit I, of a that was a bit of a contradiction, all right, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. like I, I like Roy Keane, but definitely not for those reasons. I like him just because he's entertaining. <laughs> he doesn't bring he, he doesn't inform me whatsoever about the game. It's just it's just good crack and he says things like they need to be said. And actually Roy Keane nailed it that time when he was talking about David De Gea. It might have been basic. Some people might have criticized him for saying I'd I'd go in there and throw punches. But like that's all need to be said. David De Gea made a stupid mistake. Harry Maguire made a stupid mistake. Luke Shaw made a mistake, and he had somebody there ready to nail it. Yeah, no, that's it. Like, I mean, you get a stat there, Connor. Carry fourteen points from seventeen shots. Like, I mean, if you're going to turn around and say Tyrone are giving him too much space, they're you know they're here's their zonal players. They're all over the place. They're being destroyed in midfield, and say. Therefore, Kerry are getting their shots away an awful lot easier. If you want to do analysis on, say, Kerry's movement in the forwards, how they're getting away from the Tyrone defenders, and then at the end, and because of that, they have 14 points from 17 shots. You know, that, that's just to back up analysis. It's not analysis in itself. Yeah, it's just, as, as Conor, Conor made a good point, that it's there to inform. Uh, it's it's there to inform the analysis and, and to, to inform the chat that you're going to have at half time. And I was thinking with all that, if you really want to get that stuff up, just flash up a graphic at half time for 10 seconds that has all that analysis on it. Yeah. And so, so yeah. Yeah, Sky do Sky kind of do that as well, don't they? Yeah. I, it definitely looks like Mac Bennett prefers the Sky, um, and maybe like I mean, there is a lot of uh, you. You see some stuff online, and he did admit that he watched social media a little bit too much. And again, you see things on Twitter, and you think they're bigger than they are because maybe fifty people on Twitter is saying Sky is better than RTE. You know what I mean? Like I mean, that's fifty people on Twitter. You know who have a strong opinion on something. Again, if you keep coming back to it, you don't. That's not necessarily representative of everybody watching it. Well, I thought he made one good point in in, in that regard. Willie, is that he's learned his lesson. So at the start, he said that he read far too much into it, but then he said that like he's heard, he said he heard some some somebody describe Twitter as a sewer, which it can be. So it's about knowing that like knowing the extent to which to use social media commentary as you know as a basis for for how you how you go about doing your business with regard to punditry for example so like if you read too much if you read too much into twitter god you'd be changing your format every day every you know day of the week do you know what i mean so like whereas sometimes there is a case to be made that there's a you know that there's qualified and reasoned commentary there that might affect your analysis or might affect how, how RTE do business. But he, like in fairness to him in that regard, he admitted that he paid too much attention to it at the start and now he has a better idea of, of how to use it as a basis for, for, for what RTE do. Yeah, the final bit of the piece, of Joe Brawley's piece, is just pure Joe Brawley. So he's given the reasons why McBennett told him he was out. At 11 minutes past three on Sunday, this is what, um, this was a message that um, McBennett uh, gave him. He says, at 11 minutes past three on Sunday, you said to another analyst, uh, analyst, Pat, would you stop patting my arm? I laughed and said, you're joking. He said, no. He said it was unprofessional and unforgivable. He repeated this three times. Grant, so we remember that anyways. And uh, listen, no big deal of it, but I just thought it was a little bit, uh, I did think it was unprofessional. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Then he says, now this is how Joe trivializes the real reason he got sacked. He said, in, he repeated this three times. He mentioned, now only mentioned, he mentioned also the debate over the second yellow card for Johnny Cooper, and I said I was wrong about that. I said that I assumed Kieran Whelan would be sacked as well, so he said no. Kieran had just received a warning. I started laughing. A warning over a debate about whether it was a yellow card. Have you lost your marbles? It wasn't a debate about whether it was a yellow card. It was blatant, biased punditry. And I do, probably does have a point that Kieran Whelan shouldn't have got the final as well because they let their bias completely overshadow him. It was some of the worst analysis I've ever heard. And for me, 
Broly was already on thin ice and this sent him through the ice, whereas Kieran Whelan wasn't on thin ice and he got a break. Conan. Yeah, and like there, there's a time as well for a debate. Like Broly seemed to think that that, that incident was up for discussion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As as they were debating, the, the facts were flashing up in front of them, and everyone seemed to be seemed to be ignoring them. So that like that that wasn't the time for like I get what he's saying. Like you know, a warning even for Kieran Whelan might be might be harsh for that. They could definitely have a chat with him and say, look, like, you've been a bit biased there. But he, in the piece as well with Vincent Hogan, Declan McBen is talking about how. He stands over all those decisions to put those players who could be biased who have been recently playing with those counties on those games because he, he trusts them, basically. So it seems like he would do it again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, we'll leave it there. You, we could probably done a little bit over time on that. Um, we'll be back on Thursday and we'll take a look at the cramp championships definitely cranking up now. We're getting towards semi-finals. We'll have more finals uh, next week and we'll talk to you on Thursday. Good luck. Yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f***ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years.